dark in this room. The pedestal is over there though. Worms and dirt, eh? That's probably the weirdest thing we've found yet. Oh, over, over here. Is that someone over there in the shadows, friend? You, you there, can you help me? Um, how about you come a bit closer so we can ascertain your intentions, buddy? For all we know, you could be potting our end over there in the dark. No, no, it, it's not true. Who, who told you that? It, what, wasn't that damn butler, was it? He's always sticking his nose in other people's business. Well, he actually told us to look out for unsavory types in this mansion. What's that all over your hands, buddy? <laughs> Never mind my hands. Oh, I'm s- s- sorry, that's hilarious. You shouldn't trust anyone in here. We've been stuck here a long time. We? What can we help you with? I'm looking for the letterbox. Have you seen it? I have gifts to get. Hmm. We didn't see one when we were walking towards the mansion. Why don't you go out and have a look? You really don't know anything about here, do you? Oh well, you have to learn soon enough. Anything goes in here. So many doors. So many realities. No, I have to go. I suggest you find somewhere to hide. Right. Okay, friend. I think we better grab these worms before something worse gets us. The Worm-Stained Giver by Brad Kalachava Narrated by James Barnett. The first time the mailbox did its trick was out of necessity. It was February 13th, and with all the recent excitement dominating their lives, Hal had failed to acquire a Valentine's present for his wife. His reasoning? He and his wife had finally purchased a mountain house a two-year dream of theirs to fully supplant themselves above the working class. Still, he needed something quick, and the only businesses within a 50-mile radius sold nothing but gasoline and bow-irritating sandwiches. His feet crunched as he paced in the driveway's snowy gravel of their new second home. Hal felt a whisper deep in his ear, and his eyes drifted to the mailbox. Carved from the five-foot stump of a once-ancient elm tree with a door forged of preternatural black ore, Hal needed it open. He gripped its frost-chilled handle and pulled. The inner mailbox wasn't expansive, but Hal felt a blackness that carried on for miles in that minuscule space. A chill from the snowy cold finally caught up on him. It was followed by a smell. 
beginning as a common scent, it quickly transitioned into something more menacing. Clenching his eyes shut, Hal reached into the mailbox. He felt an object and grasped. When he pulled it out, his hand held a small jewellery box. Simple, but ornate. Opening it slowly revealed a silver necklace with three small diamonds connected in the centre. Out of the mailbox came something else. A small fly, silent and dawdling, floated out of the void and fluttered towards Hal's eyes. Within seconds, its wings froze and it plummeted to the ground below, lost amidst the gravel and snow. Hal looked at the necklace again. It was perfect. His wife would love it. The mailbox had made its first offering. The second gift came almost one year later. Hal's wife was six months pregnant and, in planning the expansion of their family, picking up a superfluous item to commemorate a pagan observance had easily slipped his mind. There were two weeks until Christmas, so Hal concluded that the window to purchase a present the old-fashioned way had closed. The mailbox was his only viable solution. His memory of February hazy, Hal still felt the light pull of its call. He made up some excuse. He needed to make sure the pipes didn't freeze or something, and left his pregnant wife to drive up to their vacation home in the middle of December. He didn't even enter the house. The pipes would have to freeze over, if need be. His car door still ajar, Hal reached his hand into the mailbox. Expecting a mild thud, followed by a reverberating pulse of pain, his hand extended deeper into the opening, gliding inconceivably according to the basic rules of space. He pressed against something soft. Hal pulled out a package, wrapped with bow and all. He tore it open, letting the scraps fall into the gravel and blow off in the wind. To hell with nature, he'd found something preternaturally more powerful. It was a sweater, ivory-coloured, silk and loose. His wife would love it. She could wear it now with her stomach puffed out and even after that little brat had made it to the other side. But one gift wasn't enough. Not this Christmas. Not any Christmas for that matter. He reached in again. There was another small box. He opened it. A thin silver bracelet was inside. Good, but still not enough. Hal's hand moved in a flurry, hauling in ten presents for his wife and two for his unborn child. Hal punched his hand into the mailbox once more. His fingers brushed against something soft. It was immobile at first. Then it writhed, like a thousand indolent worms awakening from a deliberate eternal slumber. When he pulled his hand away, it was darkened by a slight layer of dirt. Hal shut the mailbox, brushed the dirt off on his jacket, and stuffed his car with as much Christmas joy as the mailbox could provide. The next Christmas, Hal didn't worry about picking up a gift ahead of time. Sneaking off the day before Christmas Eve, the last day he was supposed to work before the holidays, Hal went for a drive to the mountain house and plunged his hand into the mailbox 20 times in all, 12 for his perpetually pleased wife. 
and another eight for their son, whose favourite time of the year would undoubtedly turn out to be just after the winter solstice. Same as last year, Hal found his hands unreasonably grimy at the end of his gift transfer, dirt beneath his fingernails and a sheen of muck coating his skin. As he loaded the gifts into his car, a bit of curiosity kicked in. And why wouldn't it? He had set up malfolding long ago, so no hopeful mailman could reap its benefits. But his efforts to secure the mailbox had never extended to learning its secrets. Hal retrieved a flashlight from his glove compartment and shined it inside the mailbox to get a better look. With the unnatural illumination, a contrast to preternatural darkness that composed the interior of the tree, he at least expected a glimpse of the phallic appendages in their native habitat. However, there was nothing but the same old blackness. He shut off the flashlight and, to be safe, shut the mailbox. The next Christmas, his wife made it so easy. It was her decision, after all. They were going to spend Christmas by the warm fire in their mountain home. It almost felt as if Hal really did have Santa's bag of goodies. But he had something better. Hal's habit, much like all habits are prone to do, had increased in frequency the past year. Not just for holidays anymore. The mailbox at the mountain home had become his alternative for basic conflict resolution. Anytime his wife grew dissatisfied with him, Hal would leave her alone with their infant son for a few hours before returning with something nice. He always knew what to get. It was a simple process, really. Hal knew just where to grasp in the mailbox and when it was time to shut its heavy metal door. If he ever had trouble, the worms would help him, lethargically guiding his hand. He had missed plenty of days at work doing this, but Hal's company was crammed with fools too oblivious to bat an eye in the direction of his tardiness, as doing so would demand effort, and they had none of it. His only real sacrifice was the one and a half hour drive each way. On the night before Christmas, Howe didn't know if even a mouse was stirring in their home. Perhaps the mailbox didn't permit it. He tiptoed out into the snow. The ambient midnight winter air spicing his skin with frost. Even without light, he reached the mailbox with ease. Howe opened it and plunged his hand inside. The worms were especially excited this Christmas morning. He reached into the mailbox until he had enough gifts, and then reached in some more. Things hadn't been great lately. His wife's grievances with him were plentiful, and his son hardly knew who he was. The worms were agitated, and they began showing more resistance than ever before. Perhaps it was due to trepidation that his wife or son might stumble out into the snow under the moonlight sky and demand an explanation. Or maybe it was just simple neglect. But Hal forgot to close the mailbox door. He realised his mistake after only a few steps. But it was too late. Letting his gifts fall into the snow, Hal charged the mailbox just as a boisterous buzz roared from its depths. Expecting a tyrant emerging from the eighth layer of Hal, Hal was shocked to find a small fly floating towards him. Without hesitation, Howe shut the mailbox. Exposed to the gelid air, this fly did not wither. Instead, it landed on the centre of Howe's forehead. A sharp pain shot through Howe's skull. He spotted it away and tripped in the snow. 
patting his head. How couldn't feel a single drop of blood? Of course there wasn't any blood. It was a fly. He was only being paranoid. The mailbox gave. It didn't take. Reverting to his surreptitious demeanour under the cover of night, Hal collected all the presents and carefully set them around the Christmas tree. Cycling through the motions of his nightly routine before sleeping, Hal met an unobstructed vision of himself in the bathroom mirror. There was a hole in his head, one centimetre wide, revealing the yellowed ivory of his skull. Hal bandaged it as well as he could and returned to sleep. He was tired, after all, and tomorrow was everybody's favourite day of the year. Six months was a long time. The two seasons that had passed were enough to see Hal's head wound heal into a bright red scar. Hal's wife had never asked about the bandaged on his forehead or the crimson blemish that persisted in its absence. A few nice gifts had directed her concerned stares elsewhere. In fact, since Christmas, Hal had reached into the mailbox when confronted with even the slightest issue. Upset wife? Reach in and give her something nice. Kid with the sniffles? Reach in for some medicine. Didn't get pills? At least he still had a new toy. Regardless, the mailbox's pull had grown ever weaker. By this point, Hal was driving to the mountain house out of pure addiction. Each day, there had been a new excuse for him to reach his hand into the mailbox and extract a present, wrapped all plump and nice. But now, as he felt for another gift, Hal felt nothing. Six months sure was a long time, and the damp thing had run dry. There was nothing but worms now, and even they felt dry and stunted. Having given up on his final attempt, Hal returned inside. There was a piece of paper taped to the door. Hal, I'm taking a risk leaving this here for you. I fear more than anything that you won't drive up here in time to read this letter, leaving me at home with you, living in fear that I will eventually have to say out loud what I want to say to you. Either way, I know that you will soon be at our second home, where you seem to prefer to spend your life. Your first life, maybe. We are second to something for you, and I don't think I'll ever figure out what that is. I've considered all possibilities. If it is another woman, drugs, or even pure boredom. But I feel deep down there is no answer for this. And your hands. Your hands, Hal. Why are they so dirty all the time? What in God's name are you doing out in the mountains? I don't want to know. I've wondered. I really have. There is no solution that I want associated with the father of my child. Our son, Hal. He doesn't even know who you are. Last week when you came home and he was still awake, do you know what he said? He told me, Mummy, there goes that man again. He doesn't even think you're his father. You're just the man who comes by with gifts. I don't know what that house has done to you, but I can't stand it. I knew something was wrong when we first drove up there. I knew that you wanted it, that you needed to be there. I was so uncomfortable the first time we were there, like there was something calling to me. I remember my grandma talking about mountain fever that old prospectors used to get. She even made up stories about men she knew with it. 
That's the sort of thing you say when you see a whole century. Only, she wasn't crazy. I don't doubt that you've caught the mountain fever yourself. But I let you get it. I let you buy that house, even though I felt something drawing us both in. I looked the other way in your absence, all this time. A nice gesture here and there made it okay, but it's not okay anymore. Here is what I want you to do, Hal. It is one very simple thing. Stay there. Stay at the mountain house. It's yours now. Actually, I need to ask two things of you. Stay at that house and never return here again. Our son doesn't need an absentee father. Parenting is an act of perpetual sacrifice and your sacrifices lie elsewhere. I wish it could be any other way, but this is long overdue. With love, even now. How tore the letter from its spot to the door, letting it float onto the snow below. He knew things had gotten bad, but not that bad. She was just overreacting, like she always did. This was nothing a simple gift couldn't fix. He charged to the mailbox, swung it open, and crammed his arm down to his elbow. The worms writhed in discomfort, slipping around the skin of his forearm eerily. Hal gripped one and pulled, but its wayward motions intensified and it slipped away. Another worm struck him hard on the palms of his hand, and several others tightened against his grip. Hal countered with as much resistance as possible to escape their hold. His arm escaped in a jerking motion, and he stumbled backward, rolling in the snow. The mailbox remained open. As Hal rushed to shut it, an insect floated out from its depths. This was much larger than either fly that had emerged in the past. Mosquito-like and fleshy. It was bigger than a swollen fist. Hal reverted and ran, but the insect creature moved fast. Hal covered his face in anticipation. The creature landed on his calf and a soft pain rushed through his body. Hal attempted to swat the insect away, but when he turned around, he found it off his leg and floating back towards the mailbox. After the insect re-entered the mailbox, the door flipped shut. On Hal's leg, on the spot where the creature had landed, there was nothing. Simply a hole through his flesh leading to exposed bone. He felt the cold wind tingle the backside of his femur playfully. Hal limped inside, found a bottle of whiskey under the cabinet, and drained its contents into the hole in his leg. The tingling eased, but soon returned. He would need to find something that could help him soon. Thankfully, he was a man with unlimited resources. He could fix this. He could fix anything. The worm-stained giver waddled back outside, preparing to draw his next gift. Listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. The Wormstain Giver was written by Brad Kalachava. 
More of Brad's writing has appeared in The Fellian and Bewildering Stories. This episode was narrated by James Barnett, who also produced, edited, and performed Jimmy Horace. The Stuttering Man was performed by Mike Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast, where Mike and Zoe delve headlong into the world of the weird and bring you tales of hauntings, cryptids, aliens, conspiracies, myths, folklore, and more. Just search Stories of Strangeness wherever you get your podcasts or head to storiesofstrangeness.com. Here at The Night's End, we want to thank you for supporting us by listening. To show your further support, why not shout The Night's End to coffee? Head over to www.co-fi.com forward slash Night's End podcast to donate a one-off amount or sign up to our Patreon for access to bonus monthly episodes and unique merch. Links are in the description. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.